I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is a special bonus episode of the Snyder Minute. What are we doing here, Stephen? What are we here to do, Stephen? We're talking about something that Zack Snyder is not involved in, but would probably love. I imagine if he's watching it, he loves it. It would certainly have compassion and empathy for the showrunners witnessing yeah. how some of the loudest voices, with or without an agenda, <laughs> more than anything, drown out what actual storytellers and filmmakers, showrunners are are trying to do in telling a story, which is, of course, Amazon's Rings of Power. Oh, the Lord of the Rings, colon. Here's what's really interesting about this podcast um, that this, this episode is a really good example of, because we've done other episodes before like about other Snyder DC stuff or not not or like non-Snyder DC stuff like we talked about the Flash and and uh Wonder Woman and and stuff like that that's like not a a Snyder movie like the like the BVS by the minute is but through doing the show as much as uh we have at this point I mean we're we've covered over 2 hours of BVS plus all of the uh the bits of of other Snyder movies we've covered and kind of come to the I think mutual perspective that obviously we're focusing on Snyder, but very much our jam, just really art with a vision that is not getting discussed in the right context because people are too consumed in the social discussion surrounding it. I don't know if that would that you think, I think sum up what, what you think we kind of try to do here. I think in doing the podcast, we have forged ourselves into a hammer and now we are seeing nails <laughs> all over the place. You may be asking yourself, why are we talking about Amazon's Rings of Power? And the reason why we're talking about it, the reason why we want to talk about it, you can back me up here and tell me if I'm right, is that the storytelling, the myth-making, the symbolism, the thematic layers, and the response of people to this work overlaps so much with the stuff that we love about the Zack Snyder films that we have covered and the responses that we are so eager to oppose are so closely related to this. I would absolutely say if you like Man of Steel, if you like Batman v Superman on the level that we are talking about it, then man, you should absolutely watch Rings of Power and go into it with the mindset of engaging with it on that same level, because I believe it is just as rich. I had to go back and start rewatching it about episode three because I realized I had not turned on the Snyder switch in my brain to engage with the show. And then after I did, um, I dug it a ton. And then to say all of that, Stephen, would you agree? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll bring it. This is the first time I'll bring up Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, because as we, as we talk more wow, about rings of power, we made it, we made it three minutes. <laughs> yeah. We made it minutes into this, but I will bring up a term that, that he coined, which is crit fic as opposed to fanfic, which is critic fiction. If you are engaging with, a story or just a, a or work if you're engaging with it in the intention of analyzing it is mandatory that you focus on what's there and you don't create a narrative about the person making the work and then use that to become the fictional basis of your criticism right that's i mean that's i think that's a pretty good description of what everybody did with Zack Snyder's work and kind of has done with Zack Snyder's work and a lot of other directors but absolutely is doing um, and was doing from the very beginning with Rings of Power, which is with Snyder projects, we would say that the crit fic surrounding it 
was built on the idea that none of this is intentional, Mm -hmm. right? There's no intentionality. If I have a criticism about something that is in the work, it is there through dumb luck or the ignorance of the creator. It can't be what they intend to do. And there can't be some purpose in the work itself. Yeah. I think the same stuff is alive in Rings of Power completely where it was not, I mean, people had an opinion about what the entire work was when they'd seen one chapter, if that. Yeah. And and like to the nth degree too, like it would be, oh, that theme doesn't exist. And you'd, and, and the response is, well, here's an example of it. And they'd say, well, that, that doesn't make sense because if that was the intention, they would have brought it back later in the movie to complete the arc or it's sloppy. And you'd say, well, no, they did right here. And they would say, well, that clearly wasn't intentional. And it's like, well, but I'm showing you a, a picture of Mona Lisa and you're telling me that it's like accidental paint splashes. Well, well, she's not smiling. It's like, well, she's not, she's not supposed to be. That's, that's the point. It's artistic expression. Oh, well, no, I don't think it's, okay. it's hanging in the Louvre. Okay. Can we just move on? Like you and I are both big, big Tolkien fans, Lord of the Rings, uh, Hobbit, Silmarillion. I'll, I'll just say like to differing degrees on the unfinished tales and, and, uh, the appendices. But I think a big thing with us and I feel comfortable saying this for both of us, is that a lot of the criticism that started to sort of swell up and just as it had with Man of Steel and Batman v Superman just poison the well entirely was people saying, obviously, the showrunners do not know more about this than I do. Or obviously, the showrunners and the writers have not thought about this as much as I have. Right. Uh, which is just the most disingenuous. People, people approach their, I, I don't even want to call it art, um, and I, I don't even mean to say that as in a snooty way, but I don't think they even would want it to be art, but what is a, a art form that is used for entertainment and they approach it, wanting it to tell them how good their taste is or how good their knowledge you're rewarded for your knowledge of something. And, and many, many forms of entertainment. If you, the more Easter eggs, you know about the more engaged you will be in this, in this product. It is simple who's that character what's that location name you know what's the timeline and and that's an entertaining like easter egg hunt like activity or you know theme park ride as as chris as he would call it um and that doesn't even inherently that doesn't make it bad but there's the the idea of of having a mythos and building like modern myths is is a core part of what makes something cinema in the way that it tells a story is it a story of our time a story of another time like what is the what is the the story that is in there and when you're tapping into something like Tolkien especially i mean he defined he wrote the literally he wrote the book right on on myth building and i realize that this is he's much more modern there's been myth since before him but like his entire approach to the the nature of what myth is what mythos is is um just next level, you know, what George Lucas did for movies, Tolkien did for storytelling. Yeah, George Lucas wanted to tell a story and Tolkien set out to create a new mythology. Yeah. And a new legendarium. And, you know, as as a great person once said, an adventure like that needs to be shared. I think the the reason why this crystallized so strongly for me with Rings of Power and why I think that we were automatically like, oh, yes, we should absolutely be talking about this in the vein of what we already are doing with the Snyder Minute is that 
obviously every fan is going to have their opinion. We're in this weird place where fans not getting what they want was a reason to shout down and silence Star Wars fans for like either Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker. And then now we fast forward to Rings of Power and they're saying fans not getting what they want is actually merit. And and <laughs> those people are right to be upset. This weird concept of like what fans want from an adaptation and the, the rules of an adaptation are that you are not going to please everybody, obviously, because especially when it's a book to to a, a live action, uh, you know, film or TV show, because everybody is going to have their own image of how something looked. And if one person one person who is obviously a fan of that property if they are adapting it and are obviously going to be, well, maybe not obviously, but uh, you would assume that that the people in that role are going to be the most um, immersed, the most well-versed, the most studied people in that because they are aware that the audience has their own feelings of their own mental adaptation. But, but at the same time, you want them to pursue their vision. Well, and that's something that I I don't want to necessarily contradict that because I believe that there is a core part of it that's true, but I would have a huge caveat and I would avoid making this a show about Andor, but what Gilroy has done with that show in, in my book is, is a really good example of why I've always said that like when people are talking about who should showrun or, or direct these things, I think showrunner is very different than director. So that's part of why the, what the caveat is. But people will say, oh, it has to be the biggest fan. Only the biggest fans can be making this stuff. And sometimes there's... there's <laughs> yeah, rank them right now. Well, yeah, not only that, but, but there, there's, a, there's a preciousness that some things are given when someone is too close to the material. And what's hard is that with Tolkien, that, that, that is very different than like with Star Wars, for example, like what Star Wars is, is very at its core. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's an element to it that is very similar to like what makes Star Wars, the magic of Star Wars and the magic of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings stories, the legendarium. There's, there's a shared, there's a shared kernel there, but the idea of like going against the grain with Star Wars is drastically different than going, like you don't subvert Tolkien in the like that's yeah. just not a thing like subvert star wars is cool no, subverting yeah, yeah, token totally. is like heresy and i, I don't say that as like because i'm a fan of one and not the other but the nature of the properties is just one's like pop culture like it's a pop culture remix from george lucas's brain versus like decades and decades of mythos and language and poetry and philosophy and and just legend sewn together into this tapestry of stories like it's it's something that we're going to tap into later on when we talk about like what is canonical for Tolkien, because I feel like he is a unique figure in the formation of a canon. But yes, fans, fans are going to be fans. Fan now has so many connotations that it's sort of weird. I guess what I mean is one would assume that if you are adapting a written work into live action, you care about it. Right. <laughs> you know, that you have you have things about it that matter to you. And with and, the Rings of Power. I, told, I didn't mean to disagree with that so much as I think that the specificity of what that means is not the biggest fan should be in charge of it, but someone with the most reverence for the material should be in charge of it. Sure. And I mean, which I think those are two, that's a, th those words don't always mean the same thing to everyone. Speaking of, you know, you know, token being like, so yeah, totally. Particularly I mean, with language, that's a distinction that I feel like he would, <laughs> he would want to make between like the difference between fan and enthusiast. And yeah. And I'll, I'll mold myself in, in Tolkien's mold here of saying, like, I don't even know how I feel about that faithfulness or reverence when it comes to an adaptation. But before 
the internet lost its mind. And before droves took to YouTube to declare in one voice, this isn't what I wanted. There was this movie trilogy called The Lord of the Rings, which was at a time where you could get together as fans, as enthusiasts, as students of uh, Tolkien's writing and make choices about how you were going to adapt things, how you saw it, how you wanted to change things a little bit for your own story, and how you wanted to adapt that world into live action. And a lot of people said, well, I'll engage with this. There is a satisfaction to anticipating and engaging with the adaptation of a fan yeah. to see what their vision of it is. Well, and because of the, I think partly because of the nature of Tolkien also, and that the fans are all readers and people who are really into it are into it in like almost a scholar. It's hard to be into it in a way that's not scholarly. Lightly. Yeah. I think in today's day and age, like with like Wikipedia or wikis in general, there's a leads to a little bit more of the like <laughs> see I, I hate even using this word like the casual token fan and that's not so that's not a purity thing but so much as you can have the easter egg hunting fan which you was not even really possible pr- prior to the internet when well it requires far far less engagement to sit back and watch a movie than it does to read a book like that's just i mean that's not Right, a controversial thing to say. If you have an opinion about the death of Gandalf the Grey and the incarnation of Gandalf the White, you're probably going to be more, uh, you know, have a more academic mind towards someone else's interpretation of that. Right. Than you just watching but, what the movie version is and then having that in your mind, which is okay too. In, a, in an era where like so many, you know, fans, that, these came out at the same time as the Star Wars prequels, for example, to compare Star Wars and Tolkien yeah. even more, and. The Tolkien movies diverged from the books in some in some serious ways. In some ways that, like, really you would think would anger fans at yeah. the same level as the prequels would, and and did even to an extent. But they still celebrate them as a celebration of the work, and just say, "Well, I just don't like those parts or whatever." But they all love the music. They all like it's. There was at the time such a much more nuanced, like like adult approach to the. Well, yeah, this isn't my favorite media. Whereas with Star Wars, which has an equal, or I don't know, I want to say equal, but in terms of cinematically compared to the Lord of the Rings movies, Star Wars prequels had an equally deep level of lore and and mythos building going on there as well, and thematic stuff and and it, it could be analyzed and appreciated on the same level as the Lord of the Rings movies. And and to be fair, Lord of the Rings movies are like, you know, way better also and that makes a difference. But they're they're <laughs> the the drastic was difference also the in same approach. guy making the Star Wars movies, which made that an additionally weird thing. <laughs> yeah. But um really interesting microcosm though of like the 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 way these discussions are had in today's day and age. And we have far less of that Tokian enthusiast saying like, you know, it's not what I wanted, but like, I really loved seeing this on the screen. Because you were willing to give the benefit of the doubt at that point too of, oh, I'm assuming that Peter Jackson and, you know, Fran Walsh, you know, Philippa Boyens, this entire crew did not set out to massacre the legacy of Tolkien for their own political agenda or their own whatever, they their own irreverence for the books that they claim to love that so much that they spent more than a year filming these, you know, it went Mm -hmm. without saying that, okay, well, it's a change they made. Let's engage with why a Tolkien student or, or someone who obviously knows Tolkien and knows the stories and the lore, why would they make that change? And you'd hear them out and then say, well, I like it or I don't, but 
I don't have a camera and a microphone pointed at me to maybe talk about uh, why my opinion is so incendiary and yeah. wait till you see this thumbnail. <laughs> but we're we're getting yeah we're we're. Well, this is a lot of preamble to talk about the something point we is, really want to talk about. Yes, I'll, I'll give I, and what I was. I'll get back to what I was. What I think the connection I was going to make was we had that with Lord of the Rings, which was the shadow cast by those movies was longer than the fan and social discussion around it had lasted. So they look at them and now it's this kind of maybe a little revisionist history of, well, the Lord of the Rings movies got it right. Right. You know, like is mm-hmm. uh, that must mean that must be what it means if people still well, what's like the, them. Oh, actually it, it, it's a black sales quote, isn't it? The they'll say it's impossible until you do it. Then they'll say that it was inevitable. It was inevitable. I think yeah. that all the time and I forget that it's black sales. I think it's yeah. like Thomas Jefferson or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all black sales and rings of power are like, sitting next to each other uh they're they're two metals yeah being alloyed around each other true creation requires um, sacrifice but i think that that's a really really good example of the way that we talk about lord of the rings today is like oh how is that not going to be good and it's like well no i mean rewatch the return <laughs> of the king and tell me that it isn't a miracle they turned that into what they turned it into with that budget yeah the most people could muster was that movie had like 10 endings that was yeah. like the meanest thing people said about it. Not not to be overly critical of it, but like it's the weakest like cinematography of the three. Like it's All right, really okay, clear. Now I, now I need to step in if we're talking about the cinematography <laughs> of Return of the King. We've now gone just just saying how far we'd strayed. But I'm comparing it to the others. Anyway, you you sent me off on that tangent. But the point is, um, oh, geez, what is man, the this... point? What is the point, Stephen? <laughs> the point is. Lord of the Rings. The, the point is that the, that those movies existing and being good was like not a not a not an inevitable fluke. It was yes. a, a, yeah. a labor of of love and um, miracles. Were someone to take on that same task today, it would be different. To prove that, you have the creative group put together to create the Rings of Power, a prequel set in the Second Age. Probably the biggest vacuum of specifics or free play in terms of the mythology where people knew the big notes, but there was a lot of room to mess around with in creating new stories, answering questions that people may have had about the larger story that Tolkien didn't tell, but then also the opportunity to tell new stories that just people didn't even think to ask about or question why they were there, obviously. Well, to fill in the blanks in the... Like so much of these stories exist because Tolkien had like a pile of post-it notes. Um, I don't know how, I'm sure he was more organized than that, but basically where it was like, mm. uh, oh, I mean, if Sauron you've ever seen... takes a Regeon, uh, then later on, um, I don't know. He does, <laughs> he, there's another war. He, there's another war. Yeah. So obviously the, you know, the Rings of Power writers took the second age and said, okay, well, let's take all of this stuff and compress it into one big story that will be five seasons. We know that right from the outset, which is, I think is what was also an interesting thing for me and kind of another drop in the bucket of, we really have to wait and see, because that means they came up with a story to tell. What's fascinating is that the time period they told that they chose to tell the story, like it's told in not intricate detail, but really comprehensive detail for certain parts of it in the Silmarillion in the way that like you could use that as a, as a big template for like how to kind of do the show. There's a lot of stuff in there to, to do in that way. Also, it gives them access to this huge lore and they, but they didn't have the rights to the Silmarillion. So they could only use references from the Lord of the Rings books. And like the Silmarillion is like, I don't know how many, how many thousands of years it is, but it's like tens of thousands of years 
of history. The Lord of the Rings trilogy is literally like the contents of the last page of the Silmarillion. <laughs> and that's how like high level the history is. Um, and they didn't have the, they didn't have the rights to that. They only had the rights to the appendices and the Lord of the Rings books, but in a way that kind of forced them to tell the, sh- the show in a way that feels way more like Lord of the Rings where it'll just name drop. You know, if you're reading it, it'll, it'll name drop, uh, like the Valar or, or whatever, or like, they'll be like, Oh, the trees of Valinor. And you're like, okay, that's, I'm reading the Hobbit. What's this about? Like literally the Hobbit. And when it's, when they're, when they're captured by, um, by the wood elves, it tells you the difference between the wood elves and the elves of the light and how they never saw the light of the tree. And this is like, you know, Bilbo just found the ring under a mountain. He doesn't know what it is. Like this is just a, they're fighting spiders and it's like, Oh, by the way, here's the difference between these elves. And you're like, okay, thanks for that. Like (laughs) what? And, and so this, the show has to kind of do the same thing with the way it deals with some of the lore. Um, but it, it creates such a beautiful, it's like way less of a, of a, of a checkbox. Like it almost forces them to do the kind of storytelling that Tolkien was making by not giving them access to the Hoped source to make like dreamed to create right something like the Arthurian legends. You can tell your own stories within them. I think I, I alluded to that earlier, and I think this is a good point to go into a little bit deeper. Tolkien wrote that in The Hobbit because it came to him at the time and he wanted to write it and would often write things. If anyone doesn't know, this is like probably the first thing you learn about Tolkien. But if you don't know, then I'm, I'm so delighted to be the person to tell you. He would write things into his book that he did not know what that meant. When, when Galadriel said, you know, instead of a dark lord, you would have a queen when she is, you know, being tempted with the ring from Frodo and then says, I've passed the test. Now I will fade into the West and remain Galadriel. He said, oh, I guess she passed the test. Uh, that that's just how and, he wrote man after that finale like you can't yeah not, exactly like but that's a story that Tolkien like he maybe inferred thematically it was all there that's what's beautiful about it is the difference between a list of you know a, a, a checklist of easter eggs kind of storytelling versus this is that this is the story that it always was and you know exactly. because it's true yes. to the language, the literal language of Tolkien. Yeah. And if someone is being reverent of Tolkien's original writing, they might, looking online or looking at how fandom functions now, they might say that those writers are just stealing or um, capitalizing or twisting Tolkien's writing to make it a prequel. But I think, I, I strongly think that that goes against the spirit of what Tolkien explicitly expressed and said in letters to to colleagues and and readers that his goal was explicitly to create a new a new legendarium a new idea of myths that when he was gone would fall to other minds and hands to tell stories within so for me when the showrunners and there are countless examples in the rings of power of the showrunners weaving in a, a sentiment of hope that comes to Samwise when he is in Mordor is placed into the mouth of a character in the geographical location where Sam is thousands of years later. That is the kind of thing that is happening where someone might scoff or roll their eyes because it's not quote unquote original. But I think that in the realm of Tolkien and in the way that we talk about his mythology, that is so cool and so neat 
and so rich. And I think that he of all people would have been tickled by that, or at least given a thumbs up and said, that was this, the whole point. My dream, you know, has come true of, of people doing this kind of stuff with the mythology that I'm writing. Right. Well, and that's what, what has really, really struck me about that, especially because I read the Silmarillion years ago and I was going to reread it before the show, even though it doesn't cover all the like obviously they don't have the rights to it but there's still a a sort of draw to it and i'm going through it again and it's so engaging on a level that i don't remember it it was just so dense and hard to work through before but um well when you pick it up as a prequel to lord of the rings it's like is is this a wrong book yeah but but man the more you it's borderline poetic and and most of the writing and 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 the and the mythology that it's establishing is is conceptually poetic in itself and what's what's so great about going through that and also learning about more about Tolkien as a, as a person. I always knew he was really into language, loved he was a philologist, right? He loved words and was very particular in his word choice because of their, because of their meaning. And so then learning all of that and being just, an, you know, 10 years older than when I read it last time and having uh, done a lot more writing myself and like just being familiar with words in general, which is a weird thing to say, but like then rereading this book where the, very fabric of creation is crafted around a song. It is words and music that tell the story, the entire story of of Middle Earth and the word and Arda it is all a song. And that and that's because Tolkien saw that words had power and the ability to describe th- something is the same thing as the making it. You know, he called it sub creation. That and then so as as a result, the l- languages that he used to build this world are all also languages that he made because how can it really truly be a fictional mythology if it is, if it's built using our language. And so he has these languages and cultures and it's just, there's so much rich richness to it. And so I'm going to have to remember why I went back to talk about the Silmarillion in the first place. Now that was such a long tangent. Foundationally, the storytelling, the words is what makes anything. Then you, you see that same sort of spirit, imbuing the show which is i don't know it it, it 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 has me engaging with storytelling in general on a, like an entirely different level just being around the Silmarillion and the show together at the same time it's been crazy yeah i think the the thing that really has always framed as i got older and sort of you know started reading more and then started writing you know not not fictionally but i started engaging more with with fiction just the idea that tolkien had more than one version of events for certain things yeah, uh, and would change his mind. And that the thing that got published in the book was just like what his kid had to pick <laughs> and then to, to publish. Cause I can't put in, I can't put in this thing saying two different things happen. Mm-hmm. So I have to look at this and um, you know, maybe my opinion changed or, or his opinion changed over time. It's a version of quote unquote canon that I think today's, you know, geek um, or or Wikia entry editor is just, you know, despises. Right. He changed the origin and description of dwarves and then wrote in to his own story that some people have said <laughs> right. this thing that is totally wrong, referring to the fact that he had said it. So he well, was having fun with him with himself and how his his understanding and his uh, uh, yeah. storytelling had changed over time. Well, and I'm 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 reading The Hobbit to my my son right now and the frequency with which the narrator like breaks the fourth wall and does that kind of thing yeah. <laughs> is absolutely hilarious. Like my yeah. my son doesn't understand why I'm laughing at some of this stuff. He's he's six and a half, so he's like he's he's loving the story, 
but I'll read something where it's it 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 totally breaks character, and it's just like some would describe it this way, but really I think it's more like this. And I'm like, but you're- <laughs> well, which yeah, which is it? What does yeah. that mean? Yeah, if that is Tolkienian, this group of people saying, okay, well, we again, well, yeah. Okay, I was going to say that. I think that's, that's that's why I started talking about like words and language because what that leaves you with is you, the the language of Tolkien is the is the canon, right? It's not the events; it's the the themes and the way of of doing things. Um, is right. is, is and and the, and what happened? It's not unimportant. Obviously, his inability to decide on what is important and not or how, how things were shows you how important, how, how much care he put into that because it wasn't the events themselves weren't flippant, but also the, the core of what they all revolved around is, is this true to the language of the work? Does it feel like it's, oh, and that's the thing is when you say like, does it feel like it's a myth being told against this backdrop is for me, then you could tell almost anything if you are intending it to be if you are either intending it to fit or you are drawing from that world to tell a new story you pass my test because that's unlike some people who are maybe more critical of the show i don't believe that these showrunners or writers secretly despise tolkien or don't understand it um certainly not as well as i do and you know having having what 20% of the story that they have planned uh, I feel totally entitled to judge the overall story that they're telling. And I got to be honest, the season now one complete, uh, my, the feelings that I had of they have a story that they are telling has never been stronger. Mm-hmm. I felt very soon in the show that that is, I had that feeling, you know, talking about black sales, another feeling of, okay, I'll go along with it because you obviously are telling this stuff on purpose. Yeah. Well, and when you get to the point where the stuff that we've been kind of mocking the, the Easter eggs, the name drops the, when you get to that point where like that happens, <laughs> it is so much more real than like, you know, you're going to do the like, Oh, it's the thing, but that's the reward for watching the show. Not the entry point to watching the show. Like you've done the work by the time you get to the end of the show for those things to mean something. Otherwise. Yeah. The other direction is the folly where, I think it's the stuff that the Star Wars prequels and prequels in general took a lot of criticism over, which was the, it's the member berries, right? It's the, here, here's this, you know, this, you know, this, I would say to characterize the use of language from the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit being worked in here as one example, to say that that is pursuing the same thing, I would say is totally false. That is there for people who know the writing. Well, or like they'll, they'll even like give things that Tolkien has said to some of the characters in the show, which I think they did that, Jackson did that a few times too, that were not like things that were taken from one character and given to another, but it would be like from something Tolkien had said or or something that was outside of, you know, that was more of, because his his worldview was kind of, was really what drove the way that these stories were, yeah. were told as well. And so the fact that you're able to like imbue this work with him on that level, but like in order to even appreciate that, that's that's not a... That's not a thing that, uh, that can be appreciated. It's like, oh, I've seen that quote on a T-shirt before. Like it's, <laughs> like it's. It, it, oh, it, that's it, the thing. I fight for the user. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, Andrew Andrew Dice alone in the theater, leaping out of his chair in the back, <laughs> and everyone else totally confused. Yeah, that might qualify just based on that. But anyway, anyway, with a character anchored 
anchoring the show, like Galadriel, a character that Tolkien came to very light, never got a real opportunity to explain her entire backstory because he arrived at her so late he then needed to, as he often did, retcon and retroactively write her back in because he had discovered this character that he really liked. So that alone is almost what the showrunners are mimicking. And in an ironic way, like the the best way to, to see all this at work is like the back of the Silmarillion has these family trees. Like every like it is like are these is this elves or is this like I don't know I don't want to characterize any particular region as uh, for this but like everybody's their own uncle <laughs> it's just <laughs> like it's very clear that this was not built out from a well we must have a perfectly clean family tree it's like that it's almost like he put that together after the fact it was like mm, maybe I shouldn't draw attention to that like <laughs> yeah I'm gonna leave this and this is a problem for for Christopher. To figure out when he ha- when he has to publish this stuff, but yeah, to me, Rings of Power as a, as a show was presented as here is this part of Middle Earth's history where a ton of important events happened, and we know a lot of the big broad strokes. But what we don't have, because it wasn't written like Lord of the Rings, is we don't have those ground level thematically rich stories of the figures and the motivations and the the goals and the struggles that were in there. So right. Told in the tell- same way that is told in Lord of the Rings, where these things we're talking about were, were just vague references and the real, what you were witnessing was the dialogue between the characters and the descriptions of the surroundings. Yeah. And, and, and I think what, what quickly became clear to me was we're not going to do it like George Lucas described the prequels, where it was this high time where things were better, bigger, brighter. We are going to depict this second age of Middle Earth on the same level of the dirt and grime and the emotion and friendship that so struck a chord and resonated with people who saw Lord of the Rings. We're not going to just have Numenor as a big place. You finally get to see Numenor. You're going to see one of the races that created hobbits. You're going to see uh, the elven kingdoms when they were at their height. You're going to see them through the eyes of a story. And that story, even something as grand as the forging of the rings of power, is going to be small events that are the individual people that created that. And I think if you had said that to me, if you could communicate how that story was going to be shaped ahead of time, I would have loved that idea even more. It would have been, there's a little bit of disappointment or kind of dispelling of myth that comes when you say, well, it wasn't that big and it wasn't that grand because the people were still people. And if they were so much better, it wouldn't have led <laughs> you know, to, to where we are now. But you're going to meet these people and get to know them. And as people who know the story that comes later, all of those characters, you are going to have the opportunity to see how the events turned who those characters were into who you know them to be later. That is the most satisfying and engaging and stimulating and just uh, overall best time I can have with a prequel. Characters change over time. And again, we bring this back to Zack Snyder with Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. People saying, 
that isn't Superman. Um, he isn't acting the way that Superman should. You and I, our first response and why we ended up creating the, the podcast that we have is that, no, because the story that an actual origin story should show how the events and choices made someone into that person. Mm. And that's not the right way to do it. That's not the best well, way to do it's it. The difference that is a type of story. How and why storytelling. Yes. Right. And, and the why this, and is goes, a different venture. Well, this goes back to the the talk, talk about stuff and that conducive to wikis and, and, the, and only the how and Easter yeah. eggs is, is the how there's a series of, okay, well this happened at this day and this happened on this day. And, and so we just connect the dots as opposed to like, but, and, and this is why I talk about like it being true to like the language of Tolkien is that the how is never the interesting part of these stories. Nor is it with Rings of Power either. The yeah. the most controversial and sort of most what's going to be divisive and polarizing and least expected and most surprising and shocking parts of Rings of Power, even in just the first series, and I assume the next four to come, are these writers have really written out the why. Yeah. To a level that that is um, hard to stand against and, and sort of, for me, better to just sit back and say, okay, I mean, the biggest reveal of the first season is something that going into it, I wouldn't have liked. And then by the time I got to it, I was thinking, well, you've written the why here. Yeah. Well, in the, in the, and I think I, I might know the same thing that you're talking about. There's multiple things where I was like, oh, I'm not a fan of that, but like, Let's see where it goes. And by the time it delivers on the reveal of something that I've said, I don't want this in, in episode one, by the time they gave it to me, I like stood up and cheered because it, it like st stuck the landing. And it's like, how imagine writing this stuff off after the first episode and not instead of saying like, oh, where is this going to go? You say, why are they doing this? And then they tell you why, 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 why? But if you say that's not how it happened and then they say, and then, the, you know, that that's what you're looking at, then sure, I can like, how does it, how is anything enjoyable at that level? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and certainly I think the more we talk about this show, I'm going to come to realize like, oh, why did I not want that to happen? Yeah. Is this my feeling now where I'm old enough to now be in the position of people who were older when Lord of the Rings came out and said, that's not what Medusel looks like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now I'm in their shoes. Well, this is a growth opportunity for me because- Different group of fans looked at that. This is a dream coming true. It's new for all of us. And I think that is the thing that makes it cool. And that's why we want to talk about it. Because yeah. this is it, this is like if Lord of the Rings came out and everybody read it at the same time. Yeah. Right before the movies came out. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people did that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. I expect we'll be talking more about this show. Yeah. Well, next, next season is in two years. But I'd, I'd be shocked if we, we didn't do more of it then. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. What, what I hope to communicate is I think that what is, what they've put into this show is richer and more layered and more thoughtful than a person is going to get on first viewing, even more so if there is the added burden of expectation and um, assumptions and not even not even bad faith, but just hesitancy to to go along with the story that is being told to you. Just just ask why and let it tell you why. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and there's there's people who have, like I said, people who've said, you know, this is fan fiction. I would say absolutely it is. I mean, Tolkien was basically writing fan fiction for Galadriel when he wrote her and then was like, oh, man, you know what? 
I actually have to go back and I got to put her back in because I like her so much now. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what that is. If not, I don't know. Fan fiction is, again, crit fic. That is the dirty word to me. Fanfic should be revered if it's good storytelling. Yeah, I would say the term the term fanfic there there is a association of us of a level of storytelling that I think dirties it a little bit for me. But like I okay, because a lot of don't don't forget the amount of fanfic that is quote unquote fixing the oh, well. That's not that is that's like fan fanfic in its intended form is new stories written by people who are enthusiastic about an existing work. People who look at that and fundamentally dismiss it are people that I do not wish to trade with. <laughs> it just in any way. The that that to me, you cannot argue that isn't the purest form of fandom. So guess what? You want to play 50 in the sandbox. 50% of television and movies at this point are fan fiction. They're just given a corporate stamp of approval on it. If you want to talk about the nature of it, I would say Rings of Power is very good fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully, when it comes to a creator like Tolkien, the idea of there being canon to oppose fanfic is absurd. That's like King Arthur fanfic. Uh, you know, oh, someone's, oh, there's a new Disney movie that's about um, this this ice queen. It's it's just really just Hans Christian Andersen fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I guess. But that's not going to stop anybody from enjoying it. So if you have not watched it, watch The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, because we're going to be talking about it. And then I want to talk about I'm I'm. I'm done talking about talking about the episode. I want to talk about it so we can get moving to, <laughs> we can maybe, I don't know if you want to end and then, and then do that separate, listen to an hour of this in order to listen to our thoughts on the finale. With all of that said briefly, um, I would hope that the, you know, 40 minutes that we can spend talking about talking about rings of power, I would hope that that would fulfill the, the task of expressing why you should watch rings of power and why you should watch it as Watching the show is where the adventure begins. Well, to uh, James, to to quote James Cameron's Avatar, "Ura, a cup that is full. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot fill a cup that is already full. So maybe engage, engage with this on a level that uh, that allows it to actually have a storytelling interaction with you, not uh, in terms of just checking boxes and." Painting the right pictures. Yeah, and we have years of this to look forward to. I am, I am, I'm so psyched. Uh, and also, like the Lord of the Rings fan in me is just losing it at at where yeah, this first season went. But we haven't discussed spoilers yet. Yeah, before it came out, I I considered rereading a bunch of stuff and rereading the Silmarillion and the other, um, even the other books, even though it doesn't cover them, just to kind of get in the in the mood for the show. And I didn't. I've been. It's been a while since I've like even really read like that seriously and so i'd watched i think just after the the premiere i like went on amazon that night and ordered a new copy of the silmarillion like and, and just started at the beginning and it's i don't know it's it's really unlocked a part of my brain that um enjoys engaging on this level it's it's been like really really fulfilling not just on in the show but in unlocking that like diving deep into the the, the deepest part of like token storytelling yeah, romantic fantasy. Well, it just hits different. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really does. Um, 
But now that we've talked all about that for the people who maybe were kind of lukewarm on the show or who were like, yeah, it's fine, but it doesn't seem particularly deep. Or the people who are like, why are, why are Steven and Dice on about like Rings of Power? We obviously have to get into talking about a reaction to the first season coming to an end. All of the spoilers, all of the storylines yeah. that were revealed. Uh, I, th- I think we should, we'll, we'll try to do a, a full season discussion in, in some form or another. But Wheels are turning. Yeah, but I I think I'm I'm trying to figure out how to talk about the finale without <laughs> talking for an hour about every single episode first. But yeah, I think I think just like biggest like WTF moments and like it's it's really funny that I talk about like this show shouldn't be this like checklist of of events or name drops or characters or whatever. And then like this episode is one the one that like does all of that in a in a big way. But it's it's not it's it's just the the climax of of arcs, not not just like for funsies. But I don't know. There there were so many moments in this, like trying to figure out if we just start at the beginning or what, because otherwise I'm like, no. Do you want to just gonna go? Okay, I'm gonna go frame by frame. Hold on, so, hold, so on. We, <laughs> hold on. I'm going to stop. <laughs> oh so yeah, we okay. should stop. Okay. Okay. Stop.